Please note the Engaging Talent podcast series was recorded before the outbreak of COVID-19 and before social distancing measures were introduced. Welcome to the Engaging Talent Podcast brought to you by CPL, where you'll find out all about emerging talent solutions and insights from the world of work. I'm Siobhan O'Shea, Client Services Director with CPL, and over this series of podcasts, I'll be discussing a range of issues that are changing how we work and how companies hire talent. From resilience and well-being to sustainability and tech, the Engaging Talent Podcast will keep you informed and your talent engaged. On this episode, we're focusing on diversity and inclusion in the workplace, finding out about the importance of leadership on this issue, why mentors are so important, and whether quotas are really the answer. To discuss all of this, I was joined by Margot Slattery, Global Chief Diversity Officer with Sodexo, and I first asked Margot about her own personal and career journey. I never thought I would stay with one company as long as I have, and which is 20-something years. Um, but it's been great and it's had a lot of change. So my own journey and I suppose condensing it down, I began my working life as a chef truly because when I left school, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And as many people who left school in the 80s in this country, career guidance was pretty non-existent and we kind of just bounced out of school and it was like, we'll get a job. Um, I had liked food. My mum had done hotel management and I thought this would be nice. Um, I went off and I did a chef's course in Galway and uh, qualified and went into the world of hotels. Did that for a couple of years. Loved it. Very exciting. If you're a young person, you get to travel and do have a very exciting social life as well. Um, But I probably didn't see the longevity in that and particularly for a woman and there were no role models in that business at the time. So what we now see as celebrity chefs and all that kind, they really didn't exist. It was a hard grind job. Also, I had ambition, I think, for for something else. So I came back to Ireland. I, I was kind of working around the world and I came back to Ireland in 1991. Um, I went into a role um, doing catering management, uh, hotel management, and um, I was with a company called Urest. I saw an ad in the paper for a company called Gardner Merchant, who were looking for people who were going to be kind of trainee managers. I applied. Um, Gardner Merchant was many years later acquired by Sodexo, so that's how I came to work in Sodexo. And I literally started at the bottom um, because I went from someone who had kind of done a chef's and was was advancing my salary and everything. And then I went back and sort of became a trainee, trainee, trainee and uh, went back to college and in Colbrew Street did hotel management by night and uh, started a career then in, in, in the management side of things. Um, and I suppose quickly advancing through that, I've probably done... 20-odd roles within Gardner Merchant Sodexo and each of those advancing and building the whole way through. So from site management right through to senior management and, and, and the sort of last number of years in 2012, I became the CEO of the business in Ireland. Uh, and did that until 2015 and 2015 that that evolved into a country president role so I was responsible for a broader segment and all the governance of our business as well and then in 2019 I decided I needed a change and uh, I'd done that for many many years and it was a very natural evolution I was doing a lot in diversity and inclusion particularly externally mm. and I was spending kind of a lot of my time on that and my passion was growing for Arj. and I also felt that I'd probably come to a certain stage with doing this the, the particular role 
So I changed into um, that role. I was very fortunate. I had a conversation in the organization and they said, yeah, we'd love you to stay because I thought, you know, I'd have to leave. Um, and uh, as it turned out, our global chief diversity officer was planning to retire. So over a sort of period, a year and a bit, we, we planned that and uh, we looked for a successor for me and I moved into the next role. I think probably, you know, you don't know what hits you until mm. <laughs> until it does. And suddenly, I suppose the size of it and, and the amount of people, you know, 470,000 people sounds, it kind of rolls off your tongue. But when you actually understand the geography and, and, and the different regions, so from APAC to LATAM to Europe to, you know, somewhere else in the world um, and, and the challenges mm. and, and all the things that all of those teams have. Um, and then you kind of plot that against the world and geography and politics and what's happening. So, you know, my team are at the moment in 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 maybe Latam and places like Brazil challenged in a new way that perhaps they hadn't been in the past. North America has big challenges with the political situation and Europe has different challenges. So um you become very involved in that and, and I've loved it and um I work with great people and it's always exciting. Um, and no two days are the same. I can imagine. And in terms of when you're looking at DNI, you know, are there any particular areas that you think are, you know, getting more kind of focus and priority than others, or ones that you and Sodexo are kind of putting a priority on? Well, I guess for us, when we when we first started in this in this way, you know, and probably I would say we first started in 1966 because Pierre Bellon wrote about values and purpose in it. So we, and they've never changed. It's very people focused. But when we probably first employed, say, Rohini and, and, and officially started in this, we were very focused in North America around what we did around race because we'd had a, a class lawsuit and that became something that we we, became, we championed and we changed. But then over the years, it evolved to doing a lot around gender, particularly mm. because, um, you know, the very simple reality, as you know, 50% of the world is female, 50 male, and we didn't have a good gender balance in our organization at the time. And we truly believed that that was important. So that had been a focus for a long time. My predecessor over the last number of years has done a lot to to grow that. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, it, it, some of those conversations haven't always been easy. So, for instance, LGBT plus when we first looked at that probably mm. 10 years ago, uh, we were early days adapters. That wasn't an easy conversation to be having with the board. We've evolved now into generations, what we call cultures and origins and disability as well, um, as well as gender and LGBT plus. And those are our five key areas. So what we're trying to do now is make sure that they're all balanced, um, focused, and that there's a lot of clarity about what our outcomes are. Mm. Because the truth is you can try to do so many things and listen to sidebar conversations like neurodiversity, social mobility. We're looking at, you know, where power and how people sort of empower themselves and all of these things weave through everything. And I suppose intersectionality, you know, I can be a woman, I, I may be from a different race as others, I might be LGBT, whatever, you know, there, I might have a disability and all those things are, are also part and parcel of what we're doing. So trying to be focused is probably um, where, mm. we're, where we're aiming it now. What do you find are the greatest challenges? Well, I think that, you know, and this is a really, it's a good thing. 
everybody wants to be doing this. Everybody in the organization is in, you know, I, I, I very rarely ever meet anybody who isn't super enthusiastic, but lots of people have things that they're particularly um, aligned to and that they're passionate about. And sometimes you have to push back and say, we'd love to do that. But, you know, right now we're focused on this. Um, so I have sometimes to disappoint but for the greater good. Um, mm. And that's the challenge. Probably the biggest challenge is to make everybody feel included. Um, but, you know, we cannot do something that one one of every four, everybody from a 470,000 people wants to to be passionate about and, and wants us to, you know, take forward. So that's trying to make choices, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So that's that's great, a, great a great position. position. Yeah. yeah. So if I was looking at, you know, what are the next 10, 20, 30 uh, things we want to be involved in. The list is there and it's long. Yeah, it's a good complaint. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> complaint. Um, and Margot, you have appeared on the Outstanding Financial Times list of top 100 LGBT business leaders for several years. Um, so what has your own experience been like within the workplace and what advice would you give to businesses? Yeah, I mean, I guess my experience in the workplace, working for Sodexo, and I'm not going to be corporate about it or anything, you know, I've been incredibly lucky. I've worked for a company that this was never an issue. However, I would say that, you know, the biggest issue around that in the own homophobia was actually within me myself, because society and, and the country I live in wasn't entirely um, a place that I felt entirely open. So it wasn't that work stopped me being out. I probably stopped myself being out mm. for a long time because I didn't feel that, Ireland Inc. And, and the world was ready for, for, for that. Um, I guess I think for workplace and for organizations, it's about, you know, there's a bravery. You need to be ready to do that. And, and, and you know, Siobhan, just as you know, here and in any organization, um, we can't play lip service of things. Mm. We have to be truly ready to take something on. So if you're going to do work around LGBT plus, and I'm these days defining it as LGBT plus because there are so many, I suppose, um, different definitions. But if you're going to do work, then you have to be ready to have conversations that truly are sometimes challenging. Mm. So for instance, you know, in your building, in your organization, do you have bathrooms that people can use who are perhaps non-binary? Have you thought about your policies? Have you thought about how you're, you know, how you come, how you put yourself forward in, 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 in I suppose, your leadership puts themselves mm. forward? Are we welcoming? Are we inclusive? Are we open to maybe some challenge, etc.? So, you know, whether you're a big organization or a small organization, none of these areas come without some sort of challenges and thinking through. So you can't, I suppose where I'm coming at is that you can't decide you're going to do um, diversity and inclusion and the next day you're on the pride bus. You know, there's a journey. Yeah, yeah, there is. And in terms of even for yourself, you know, it's been such a period of change over the last couple of decades. You know, what are the moments that kind of have stood out for you, you know, in terms of looking at DNI and Ireland yeah. and where we've come to? Well, I, I suppose three and, and they'll they'll be probably familiar with a lot of people. The first one is civil partnership. Yeah, I knew I think, you were going to say yeah, that. <laughs> I think, you know, for me, 
that was truly life changing to start mm. off. And and I, I often think of, you know, was it Obama has that book, you know, The Audacity of Hope. Um, I, I, I never thought that those things would happen. So it's a bit like sort of, you know, as a young teenager thinking we'd have peace in Northern Ireland. I never thought that would happen. I didn't think I'd live in a country where we would have civil partnership and I could be viewed as an e- equal citizen. And guess what? The country went even further than that. Mm. And in 2015, we, 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 we went down the route of um, marriage equality. And again, um, probably that one more than others stands out for me because I always say, you know, I went into the, the, the count in Ballsbridge and I went in as I've probably all my life felt, you know, a little bit lower in the shoulders, always feeling, you know, maybe a little less never as fully um, myself as I could be. And I came out and I felt balanced and open and free. You know, I say it's like Martin Luther King, free at last. And that was that was change making, you know, in my family, in my life, able to get married, able to be the same as everybody else. Now, jokingly, friends of mine and um, say, well, you know, you can be as miserable as the rest of us. I, <laughs> I have to say, I haven't had that experience. No, but, I've uh, met your wife. Uh, too. No, happy I mean, out. It is, yeah, I'm very lucky. And probably I think the third, the third, you know, you said three is probably what's happened um, around, um, you know, I, I suppose around the freedom about people and contraception and, and, mm. and everything that's happened about repeal the eight. Mm. Um, I'm somebody who believes in everyone's personal freedom. And I think that's been change making because when I was growing up as a young woman going to school, college and the environment I grew up in, you know, Everybody I knew at my age group, you know, if something happened for them, um, they either immigrated or they 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 adopted a baby or they had an abortion in another country. And uh, I think women's health and well-being, particularly around fertility, was very poor. And this conversation was not a good conversation mm. in our country. So that's been change making as well. I was reflecting of just give you one moment on this, but I was born in 67. So that does truly tell my age. But um in 67, I read a fact the other day that 98% of babies born out of wedlock in Ireland in 67, 98% were given up for adoption. Wow. It's shocking, isn't it? Isn't it? I yeah. mean, so We've look at all the broken hearts and the broken oh, families yeah. and the broken lives. Mm. I'm not saying adoption is bad, but yeah. that comes at a cost to people. Of and course. I'm glad that we've come to... Uh, just a bit more openness about whatever choices people make mm. and hopefully mm. it'll be better for everybody yeah so true so well said as well um and in terms of i suppose that um piece where you're in an environment where you're able to bring your whole self to you know your company and your work and you know it's um very supported and um, for those companies that are just they're maybe saying that they don't feel um they should encourage you know people to that they should be keeping mm. their stories private I mean, what would you say to those? Are you seeing this or what? I see it probably less so than I did in the past. I mean, it's been very interesting, the transition, and I've taken maybe a very Irish perspective, but when, you know, four or five years ago, people would say, and I'd meet people when I was in a CEO role, and they'd say, oh, I'm not sure if we're ready for that. And, you know, particularly maybe uh, indigenous Irish organizations. I see most of them moving and changing. Um... But for those who are, I think, still still struggling, and I think it's particularly felt in the SME uh, f- mm. uh, side of things, and a lot of that is because 
they're low in resources and there's mm-hmm. so many challenging things. I would say, though, they are going to have to come to the fore and jump jump and make that leap because the war for talent just dictates that we have to be so much more open. Mm. Um, you know, I look in your organization and mine and I look particularly at people who are younger. They're not going to stay around in our organizations if this is how it is. Mm. So whether it's our young men or our young women, if we're not open about parental leave, families, how we live our lives, it's radically different, flexible working being free to be who you are, you know, working through disability, uh, being the race you are, whatever it might be. If that's something we're having to cover or not talk about, you know, people would just say, oh, too much. I'll, I'll just leave. Mm. Yeah, you're and they so do. Right. Yeah, they do. And yeah. this, you, you know, you're in mm. the business of people. You see the stats mm. and um, retention is so important for us all and such mm. a cost. Yeah, it's an imperative now, it really, is, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and in terms of kind of best practice tips then around this, you know, around creating, you know, um, a culture of D&I, you know, for all of the generations. I think. What um, are your thoughts? Well, I think for, for organizations, my, my and I always say to people that I meet that, you know, come and chat. And I, I hope I'm always very, I try very hard to be helpful because I was on that journey, you mm. know, as a CEO and I had to talk to other organizations. I think the first thing is try not to bite off too much. Mm-hmm. You know, de- don't boil the whole of the, the ocean, so to speak. So look at, you know, what are the key topics? Um, probably very great starting point is to um, do some dip check, check, survey in your organization and understand from the people who work in the organization what are the things that they might feel are a focus so for instance some organizations say we're going to do you know five things and then they find out when they go and have that conversation that really the biggest issue is something that maybe they haven't even thought about and their Mm. own people will tell them very quickly I think involve people get the conversation going and um, you know continue to engage with people about it. Mm. So that's the starting point. So if you're starting understanding what your strategy or your way forward might be, or you're setting out the plan, have engagement so you know what people think. So don't tell them we're going to do this. Um, And I think once you decide you're going to do something, then it's important that the leadership engage. Um, If leadership are not going to be authentic about it and don't engage, then I think it's a waste of time. Mm. You'd be better off giving people an extra few bob in their packet, pay packet because it's really not going to land or ever stay or, or be be sticky. Um, and the third part really to that is make sure it's consistent so it can't be a one-hit wonder. Mm. So, you know, going back to the start, if you're going to do one thing in one year and that's going to be the one thing, then do that really well and, and, and embed it and make it part of what you do and your policies and your procedures and your practice and celebrate it and then do the next thing. Brilliant. Great advice there. Um, what are your thoughts on quotas? Um, do you think they're the right approach? Um, what is your view on it? Um, I think probably um, I'm, I'm a little bit contrary to the, some of the opinion that I, I hear and see in Ireland. Um, and I'm very firm that I think quotas are incredibly important um, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Somebody said, and it's, it's a great saying, you know, I may not like what they are, but I like what they achieve. Um, and I think certainly if I take my Irish perspective out, um, we have not made enough progress. It's too slow. Mm. Um, a lot of, you know, big Irish companies, important Irish companies don't even have a woman on their board. Mm. They don't have women in their senior team. 
um, and it really needs some change. Mm. Um, personally, I was disappointed that you know the government when they got involved in this uh, didn't didn't push it a little further, um, like they've done in the UK with Lord Davies that sort of thing. I think we need to there needs to be a carrot and stick. Yeah. Um, and you know, like everything else that's been privileged, we need to we need to push people on it. Um, However, to be fair and to be balanced, because it's important to, I think the the whole initiative that's happening around gender and particularly um, the what Catherine Day is leading, you know, in a whole mm. kind of a consultative process is wonderful. Mm. Um, and you know, if that if that leads to some great insights, fantastic. But we will have to, I think, at some stage, kind of step out of our comfort zone and, and do something more. Mm, yes. We've done it, by the way, in our organisation. So for a number of years. We've had incentivization percentage of people's bonuses have been dependent on changing the numbers. And we're now in our board, we have 60% female in our in our board. Brilliant. Now, we probably need to get that balance a little. Mm-hmm. Um, our board is chaired by Sophie Bellon, who uh, is our chairwoman. And uh, in our comics, we have 37% female in our comics. The 2025 target is that's to be 40 and probably, actually, if we hadn't had some people leave and change, that would be even a little higher. Um, and then in our what we call our GSL, which is our group senior, so our pipeline and our senior talent, we've about 36 percent there. And again, that's a 40 percent target for 2025. So people have been, you know, responsible for that. They have brought that along. But our leadership over those years has really kind of got behind that. Mm. And uh, you can see the benefit of putting some targets and quotas around mm. that. Was that, did that trigger the real impact when the targets went in? Yeah, I would it say did. it did. Yeah. So listen, it, it's been, it's always been culturally in Sodexo. Our leaders have, have stood behind it. Actually, you know, both of our CEOs are, you know, evangelists in this way. Um, but, you know, you're talking about a wide distribution of people and, you need to you need to have, as I said, a push and pull. And, and that definitely, I think, took it to the next level. So in terms of the future now, yes. Margot, what do you see as um, the emerging kind of trends? Well, I think, uh, you know, everything that we've talked about, the five key areas that we're 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 looking at won't go away. Yeah, I think um, intersectionality of all of those is something we'll probably look at deeper. So, you know, if as I said, if I'm a woman and I'm, you know, from a different race with a disability, you know, these are all factors in my life. And sometimes, you know, as a gay woman, I'm, I'm coming up with the fact it's not just a glass ceiling, it's a double glass ceiling. And that's for uh, many people in the world. I think um you know, there are topics such as um, gender violence is is something that is emerging. You know, even in this country, we've seen more people being killed by their partner. Domestic violence is, mm. a, is a really big issue. And it's not just a female issue. Um, we think, you know, neurodiversity will continue to grow in its, in its um, I suppose, scope and talked about sense, particularly because there are so many people who don't get that opportunity in the workplace. And, you know, I know CPL has done some great work on this. Um, we think disability and I would see disability really, really advancing. So we've been involved with um, the Valuable 500 and we joined up recently. And I'm really, you know, I see the opportunity, mm. you know, three billion people who don't have 
who don't have opportunities just because mm-hmm. they have a disability. So I, I, I can't conjugate that this could not be better. And probably, and I'm, I'm, you know, how does one even limit this? But for me, one of the things that's really important is to have a conversation around social inclusion. Mm. So, you know, a lot of it has been that people who have had great opportunities and who've had privilege have got on in the world. And I want to do more to make people feel that wherever you come from, whatever start you've had in life, you can be somebody and you can end up in the right place. That's and a try fabulous to role model that. aspiration. And speaking of role models, who are your own role models? Very first person always, and it's, you have a few, but I'll make it quick again. First person has always been my mom. My mom um, suffered from Parkinson's disease and she died just over a year and a bit ago. And she suffered, uh, you know, with, with the most amazing sort of sense of resilience and, and uh, always showed, cared about other people more than herself. So she's role model for me all my life about being a great person, never complaining. Even when she was well, she was always kind of looking after all of us. So, you know, compassion and joy, um, I guess. Um, beyond that, I've I've come from a great bunch of of women as well. Even the generations before them, I had grandmothers who were all widows, and they were tough women. So I I love what they've been about. Um, and you know, if I look in in Irish life, we've had great presidents. Mary Robinson still continuing. Mm-hmm. You know, not did she do just pre- presidency and fantastic as a woman lawyer and all the cases she did. She then went on to become a fantastic president. She then went into the UN and human rights, and now she's doing so much around climate change and gender. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's amazing. I love the conversations Mary McAleese is having. Um, I love our, our current president. I think, you know, he's a fantastic role model about keeping your own truth and speaking to your truth. And then I think, you know, maybe coming to to the end of that and the conclusion of that, there are so many, but I love what young people are doing, particularly Malalia um, and, and, and Greta Thunberg, you know. And mm. when I when I drive through places like Carrick and Shannon on a Friday afternoon and I see 30 and 40 kids, small kids out with their placards, fighting and demanding that we do something about the, the universe and, and environment. That's just so impressive. I have a 10-year-old nephew called Hugo. He's a hoot. And uh, Hugo has already changed in the family home. They're now in bottom milk. He's a pescatarian because he doesn't want to be eating so much meat. You know, it's his generation are, are really, they're leading. Absolutely. Margot, on that really positive note, I think we'll wrap it up. You have been so kind with your time here Not today. And thank you so much for coming in to us. Thanks, Siobhan. It's been, it's been a pleasure and thank you. That's it for this episode of the Engaging Talent Podcast brought to you by CPL. My thanks to Margot Slattery, Sodexo's Global Chief Diversity Officer, for joining me on the show. For more information on workplace well-being and for further employer resources, don't forget to visit the Engaging Talent podcast page at cpl.com. I'm Siobhan O'Shea. Thanks for listening and join me on the next episode to find out more engaging talent solutions.